Okay, so we have the car payment, the rent, utilities, and the repair bill. <sighs> what should we do? I know. I'm going to CashNetUSA.com. I can apply in minutes, get an instant decision, and if approved, we could have the money in our account as soon as the same business day. When you need money fast, be the hero. Go to CashNetUSA.com to apply for the money you need now. The exact timing as to when your loan funds will be available will be determined by your banking institution. Every year, compliance regulations change thousands of times. And every year, ADP makes thousands of seamless platform updates so businesses can focus on everything else, like running their business. Grow stronger with ADP. HR, talent, time, and payroll. Thor Bridge by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. Dramatized by Grant Eustace with Roy Marsden as Sherlock Holmes and John Moffat as Dr. Watson. Somewhere in the vaults of the Bank of Cox & Co. at Charing Cross, there is a travel-worn dispatch box with my name, John H. Watson, M.D., late Indian Army, painted upon the lid. It is crammed with records of cases which Mr. Sherlock Holmes had at various times to examine, and not the least interesting are those without solutions, such as the tale of Mr. James Fillimore, who, stepping back into his own house to get his umbrella, was never more seen in this world. Or that of the cutter Alicia, which sailed one spring morning into a patch of mist from where she never again emerged. Or Isadora Passano, a well-known journalist and duelist, who was found stark staring mad with a matchbox in front of him, which contained a remarkable worm said to be unknown to science. But fortunately, there were many others which were brought to happier conclusions, such as the death upon Thor Bridge. It was a wild morning in October, and I descended to breakfast to find my companion in a particularly bright mood, a sure sign of a case. Have you heard of Neil Gibson, Watson? Yeah, um, oh, you mean the American senator? He was one senator for some western state, but is better known as the greatest gold-mining magnate in the world. Yes, he surely lived in England for some time. His name's very familiar. Yes, yes. He bought a considerable estate in Hampshire five years ago. Ah, yeah, and his wife has recently met some tragic end. There you have it. A problem that, though exceedingly sensational, appeared to present no difficulty. I fear it will be a thankless case. Unless some entirely new and unexpected facts come to light, I do not see what my client can hope for. Your client? Uh, I forgot I had not told you. I'm getting into your habit of telling a story backwards. You'd better read this letter. <clears throat> Dear Mr. Holmes, I can't, I can't see, see the, the best, best woman God ever made go to her death without doing all that is possible to save her. I know beyond all doubt that Miss Dunbar is innocent. That woman has a heart that wouldn't let her kill a fly. I'll come at eleven tomorrow. All I know and all I have and all I am are for your use, if only you can save her. Yours faithfully, J. Neil Gibson. All I have. Well, they say the man is the greatest financial power in the world. Also, I understand, of most violent and formidable character. I began to recollect the details of the case as I had read them in the newspaper. 
Mrs. Gibson, described as a lady past her prime, had been found in the grounds half a mile from the house, clad in her dinner dress and a revolver bullet through her brain, although no weapon was found near her. Holmes had to prompt my memory, however, as to why the attractive young governess of the household was suspected. There is some very direct evidence. A revolver with one discharged chamber and a calibre which corresponded with a bullet was found on the floor of her wardrobe. Hmm. Pretty damning. So a jury will think. Then the dead woman had a note upon her, making an appointment at that very place and signed by the governess. Hmm. Even more conclusive. Is there a motive? Who is more likely to succeed Senator Gibson's wife than the young lady who had already by all accounts received pressing attentions from her employer? Love, fortune, power, all depending upon one middle-aged life. Yes. Ugly, Watson, very ugly. And has she an alibi? None that she could prove. Indeed, she was seen by a passing villager near Thor Bridge. That was the scene of the tragedy. Well, that really seems final. And yet, Watson... And yet. But here, if I'm not mistaken, is our client, and considerably before his time. But when the door opened, it was a Mr. Marlowe Bates, a stranger to both of us, who was ushered in. You seem agitated, Mr. Bates. Pray sit down. Thank you, sir. I fear I can only give you a short time, for I have an appointment at 11. I know you have, Mr. Gibson, my employer. I am manager of his estate. Mr. Romsey is a villain, an infernal villain. Oh, strong language. Oh, I have to be emphatic, because the time is so limited. I would not have him find me here for the world. Now, you say you are his manager? Yes, but I have given him notice. Hmm? In a couple of weeks, I shall have shaken off his accursed slavery. A hard man, Mr. Holmes, hard to all about him, but brutal to his wife. He made her life a misery. Did you know she was Brazilian? That fact had escaped me. Tropical by birth and tropical by nature. Ah. She had loved him as only such women can love. But when her own physical charms had faded, oh, there was nothing to hold him. We all hated him for the way he treated her. But he's plausible and cunning. That is all I have to say to you. Don't take him at face value. Oh, and, uh, no, moment, no, please. don't detain me. Well, Mr. Gibson seems to have a nice, loyal household. Yes. But the warning is a useful one. Now we can only wait until the man himself appears. Sharp at the hour, the famous millionaire was shown into our room. As I looked upon him, I understood the fears and dislike of his manager. If I were a sculptor and desired to idealise the successful man of affairs, iron of nerve and leathery of conscience, I should choose Mr. Neil Gibson as my model. Let me say right here, Mr. Holmes, that money is nothing to me in this case. You can burn it if it's any use in lighting you to the truth. Name your figure. My professional charges are upon a fixed scale. I do not vary them, save when I remit them altogether. Well, think of your reputation, then. If you pull this off, every paper in England and America will be booming you. Thank you, Mr. Gibson. I do not think I'm in need of booming. <laughs> Now, let's get down to the facts. I am here to give them to you. What were the exact relations between you and Miss Dunbar? Just who do you think? Well, I suppose you are within your rights in asking such a question. We will agree to suppose so. Then I can assure you that our relations were entirely and always those of an employer and employee. 
I'm a rather busy man, Mr. Gibson, and I have no time or taste for aimless conversations. I wish you good morning. What the devil do you mean by this? This case is sufficiently complicated to start with, without the further difficulty of false information. Meaning that I lie? I was trying to express it as delicately as I could, but if you insist on the word, I will not contradict you. I sprang to my feet, for the expression on the man's face was fiendish in its intensity. But with an effort, he mastered his fury. You've done yourself no good this morning, Mr. Holmes. I've broken stronger men than you. No man ever crossed me and was the better for it. So many have said so, and yet here I am. You can certainly see why Bates is in fear of him. Indeed, what of the case, Watson? Well, I must confess that um, when I consider that this is a man who would certainly brush any obstacle from his path, and when I remember that his wife may have been an obstacle, it seems to me... And to me also. And it is pretty clear that some deep emotion centres on the accused woman rather than on the victim. Will he come back? Oh, it's sure to come back. He can't leave it where it is. There. You see? <laughs> When the Gold King re-entered our room shortly afterwards, he was in a more chastened mood than he had left it. I feel, Mr. Holmes, that I have been a little hasty in taking your remarks amiss. As a result, he was now prepared to explain the tangled relations between the three people at the centre of the case. How he had met and married his wife in Brazil, and how, over the years, his love had faded while hers had remained as strong as ever, and how Miss Grace Dunbar answered their advertisement and became governess to their children. I make no pretense to be more moral than my neighbors. I will admit that I could not be in daily contact with such a beautiful woman without feeling a passionate regard for her. Do you blame me? I do not blame you for feeling it. I should blame you if you expressed it, mm. since this lady was, in a sense, under your protection. Yes. Well, I expressed it. I said to her that if I could marry her, I would, but that it was out of my power. I said that money was no object and that all I could do to make her happy and comfortable would be done. I don't know that anything Miss Dunbar is accused of is really worse than what you yourself have admitted. Right. Uh, that you have tried to ruin a defenceless girl under your own roof. Well, she would have none of it. I'm glad to hear it. It is only for the young lady's sake that I touch your case at all. But why did she not leave? She wanted to, but others were dependent upon her, and it was no light matter to let them down by sacrificing her living. And there was a second reason. Which was? She wished to use her influence over me. Extraordinary as it sounded, it seemed as if the Gold King genuinely was so enamoured of Miss Dunbar that he was prepared to let her temper his otherwise cutthroat business dealings. But the fact that Grace Dunbar exerted an influence that Mrs. Gibson had never had inflamed his wife's jealousy. No matter that it was an influence for good, she was crazy with hatred. So what do you suppose happened? I don't know. Maybe my wife planned to murder Miss Dunbar, or at least threaten her with a gun to frighten her into leaving. 
And then there was a scuffle and the gun went off. It is the obvious alternative to deliberate murder. Yeah. One can understand that a woman placed in so awful a position might hurry home in her bewilderment, holding the revolver and throw it down among her clothes, hardly knowing what she was doing. But she utterly denies it. She might try to lie her way out by a total denial, since all explanations seemed impossible. What is against that? Miss Dunbar herself. It was Holmes's intent to speak to that young lady immediately, but there was some delay with the official pass, so we went down first to Thor Place, the Hampshire estate of Mr. Neil Gibson. It was there that we arranged to meet Sergeant Coventry of the local police. He had first examined into the affair, and he walked down with us to the scene of the tragedy. Well, I'd rather have you than Scotland Yard, Mr. Holmes. If the Yard gets called into a case, the local loses all credit for success and may be blamed for failure. I need not appear in the matter at all. Oh, that's very handsome of you, I'm sure. Now, there is one question I'd like to ask you. Yes? Don't you think there might be a case against Mr. Neil Gibson himself? I've been considering that. Oh, you've not seen Miss Dunbar. Oh, she's a wonderfully fine woman. He may well have wished his wife out of the road. And it was his pistol. Uh, was that clearly made out? Oh, yes, sir. It was one of a pair. One of a pair? Uh-huh. Where is the other? Well, the, uh, the gentleman has a lot of firearms of one sort or another. We never quite matched that particular pistol, but the box was made for two. But if it was one of a pair, you should surely be able to match it. Well, we, uh, we have them all laid out of the house if you care to look them over. By this time, we had reached a long, reedy lake constricted in the centre where the main carriage drive passed over a stone bridge. Now, that was where Mrs. Gibson's body lay, sir. I gather from the newspaper reports that the shot was fired from very close quarters. Yes, sir. Just behind the right temple. But there was no trace of a struggle. No marks and no weapon. And Miss Dunbar's note? Clutched in the dead woman's left hand. Clutched, you say? Oh, yes, sir. We could hardly open the fingers. <laughs> So that excludes the idea that anyone could have placed the note there after death to furnish a false clue. Hmm. The note, as I recall, merely said, I will be at Thorbridge at nine o'clock. G. Dunbar. That's correct, sir. Does Miss Dunbar admit writing it? Oh, yes, sir. What was her explanation? Well, her defence was reserved for the assizes, sir. She'd say nothing. It's certainly an interesting point. Granted the letter is genuine, it was surely received some time before. Why then was this lady still clasping it in her left hand? I could see Holmes's quick grey eyes darting their questioning glances in every direction. Ah! Now what is that? Suddenly, he ran across to the opposite parapet and began to examine the stonework. Do you see this? What, where the surface is chipped, you mean? That's precisely what I mean. It took some violence to do that. See, by a cane, it leaves no mark. And it's in a curious place, too, on the lower edge of the parapet. But it's at least 15 feet from the body. Yes, it is. But it's worth noting. We made our way to the house. Mr. Gibson had not returned from town, so it was the neurotic Mr. Bates who met us. Come in. Come in, Mr. Holmes. No doubt you would like to see... He showed us, with a sinister reddish the formidable array of firearms which his employer had accumulated in the course of an adventurous life. But then, with nothing further to be gained by remaining of the house, we made our way to the station. 
We have come on a good many facts, Watson. But I am some way from my conclusion. We have several very vital questions to ask Miss Dunbar, and my mind will not be easy until we've seen it. Uh, the case seems very black against her. I'm worried not for one thing. Oh, what is that? The finding of the pistol in her wardrobe. But that seemed to me to be the most damning incident of all. Not so, Watson. It had struck me at my first perfunctory reading as strange. And now that I'm in closer touch with the case, it is my only firm ground for hope. Where we do not find consistency, we must suspect deception. No, I don't follow you. You plan the crime. A note has been written. The victim has come. You have your weapon. It is workmanlike and complete. Do you tell me now you ruin your reputation by carrying your weapon carefully home and putting it in your wardrobe? Your best friend would hardly call you a schemer, Watson, and yet I could not picture you doing anything so crude as that. Oh, well, I don't know. I mean, in the... No, 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 I will admit that. When a crime is coolly premeditated, then the means of covering it are coolly premeditated also. Then someone who wished to incriminate Miss Dunbar placed the revolver in her wardrobe, hmm? We'll see how we come upon a most fruitful line of inquiry. We spent the night at Winchester, and next morning we were allowed to see the young lady in her cell. I had expected from all we had heard to see a beautiful woman, but I can never forget the effect which Miss Dunbar produced upon me. It was no wonder that even the masterful millionaire had found in her something more powerful than himself something which would control and guide him. Perhaps Mr. Neil Gibson has told you something of what occurred between us, Mr. Holmes. Yes, you need not pain yourself by entering into that part of the story. After seeing you, I am prepared to accept Mr. Gibson's statement, both as to the influence which you had over him and the innocence of your relations with him. But why was the situation not brought out? It seemed to me incredible that the charge could be sustained and there would be no need to enter into painful details of the inner life of the family. My dear young lady, I beg you to have no illusions. It will be a cruel deception to pretend that you are not in very great danger. Give me, then, all the help you can. I will conceal nothing. What were your true relations with Mr. Gibson's wife? She hated me, Mr. Holmes with all the fervour of her tropical nature. It is probable that she misunderstood our relations. But she was a woman who would do nothing by halves, and the measure of her love for her husband was the measure also of her hatred for me. I can see now I was wrong to remain where I was a cause of unhappiness, and yet it is certain that the unhappiness would have remained even if I had left the house. Now, Miss Dunbar, tell us exactly what happened that evening. I can tell you the truth so far as I know it, Mr. Holmes, but I am in a position to prove nothing. If you will find the facts, perhaps Mr. Holmes may find the explanation. I received a note from Mrs. Gibson in the morning of the day she died. How? It lay on the schoolroom table and may have been left there by her own hand. It implored me to see her at Thorbridge after dinner as she had something important to say to me. Your note was the reply? Yes. She asked me to leave an answer on the sundial in the garden as she desired no one to be in our confidence. But do you still have Mrs. Gibson's note? No. She asked me to destroy it. 
She was very much afraid of her husband, who treated her with a harshness for which I frequently reproached him. Yet she kept your reply very carefully. Yes. I was surprised to hear that she had it in her hand when she died. So you kept the appointment you had made? Yes. I went down as I had promised. When I reached the bridge, she was waiting for me. Never did I realize until that moment how this poor creature hated me. She was like a madwoman. Indeed, I think she was mad, with the deep power of deception which insane people may have. How else could she have met me with unconcern every day, and yet had so raging a hatred of me in her heart? What on earth did she say to you? I cannot repeat it. The words were burning and horrible. I could not answer. I just put my hands to my ears and rushed away, with her still shrieking her curses at me. Where was she when you left her? Still standing at the mouth of the bridge. Well, where she was afterwards found? Within a few yards of the spot. And yet, presuming she met her death shortly after you left her, you heard no shot? I heard nothing. But indeed, Mr. Holmes, I was so horrified by this terrible outbreak that I was incapable of noticing anything which happened. You returned immediately to your own room? Yes. Did you leave it again before next morning? Yes. When the alarm came that the poor creature had met her death, I ran out with the others. Did you see Mr. Gibson? Yes. He had just returned from the bridge when I saw him. He had sent for the doctor and the police. So we come to the all-important point. Had you ever seen before the pistol that was found in your room? Never. When was it found? Next morning, when the police made their search. On the floor of your wardrobe? Yes. Among the dresses. You could not guess how long it had been there? It had not been there the morning before. How do you know? Because I tidied out the wardrobe. That is final. Someone came into your room and placed the pistol there in order to inculpate you. It must have been so. But when? It could only have been at mealtime, or else during the morning when I would have been in the schoolroom with the children. Thank you, Miss Dunbar. There is just one other point. There was some sign of violence on the stonework of the bridge, a perfectly fresh chip just opposite the body. Could you suggest any possible explanation for that? Surely it must be mere coincidence. Yes. But why should it appear at the very time of the tragedy? And why was it place? Holmes's pale, eager face had suddenly assumed that tense, far-away expression which I had learned to associate with the extreme manifestations of his genius. Suddenly, he sprang from his chair, vibrating with the pressing need for action. Come, Watson, come. Yes. What is it, Mr. Holmes? Um, you will get news tomorrow, Mr. Dunbar. But meanwhile, take my assurance that the clouds are lifting and that I have every hope that the light of truth is breaking through. <sighs> It was not a long journey from Winchester to Thor Place, but it was long to me in my impatience, while for Holmes it was evident that it seemed endless. Suddenly, as we neared our destination, he ceased his nervous pacing of the railway carriage and sat down opposite me. Watson, I have some recollection that you go armed upon these excursions of ours. It was as well for him that I did for he took little care for his own safety when his mind was once absorbed by a problem. So have you your revolver on you? Here you are. Good. 
remarkably heavy. Oh, yes. It's a solid piece of work. I believe your revolver, Watson, is going to have a very intimate connection with this mystery. You're joking. No, 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 I'm very serious. There is a test before us. If the test comes off, all will be clear. And the test will depend upon the conduct of this weapon. Hmm? Right there. One cartridge out. That makes it a better reproduction. I had no glimmer of what was in his mind, and nor did Sergeant Coventry when we met him. The clue, Mr. Holmes. What is it? It all depends upon the behaviour of Dr. Watson's revolver. Mm. Now, Sergeant, can you give me ten yards of string? The village shop provided a ball of stout twine, and as we walked towards Thor Bridge, Holmes firmly tied one end of it to the handle of my revolver. Now, Sergeant, the exact position where Mrs. Gibson lay, if you please. Right, sir. Uh, you need to be a bit closer to that parapet. Excellent. Watson, would you be so kind as to hunt for a good-sized stone? Holmes secured the stone to the other end of the string and hung it over the parapet clear of the water. Then he stood on the fatal spot and put my revolver against his head. Now for it. As he spoke, he let go his grip and the weapon was whisked away. It struck with a sharp crack against the parapet and vanished into the water. Good Lord! Was there ever a more exact demonstration? See, Watson, your revolver has solved the problem. An identical chip on the stonework. And right beside the first. You will, of course, Sergeant, get a grappling hook and restore my friend's revolver. Right, sir. Uh, You will find beside it the revolver string and weight with which this vindictive woman attempted to disguise her own crime and fasten a charge of murder upon an innocent victim. Knowing that we could not take steps for Miss Dunbar's release until the morning, Holmes and I stayed at the inn that night. After dinner, we sat discussing the case. I don't think we've ever come across a stranger example of what perverted love can bring about. Mrs. Gibson must have been demented to have resolved to end her own life. I don't know, Watson. To do it in such a way as to involve a victim in a fate worse than sudden death shows a remarkable subtlety of mind. Concealing the revolver in the wardrobe, arranging a meeting so that Miss Dunbar would have no alibi, even extracting a note from Miss Dunbar, although in her anxiety that it should be discovered, she somewhat overdid it by holding it in her hand to the last. That alone should have excited my suspicions earlier. Oh, yeah, but I mean, to have worked out the meaning of the chip on the stonework was masterly. There, I cannot agree with you. It was sufficient clue to the solution... And I should have attained it sooner. No, Watson. I fear you will not improve any reputation which I may have acquired by adding the mystery of Thor Bridge to your annals. In Thor Bridge by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, Roy Marsden played Sherlock Holmes, John Moffat, Dr. Watson, Sean Barrett, Neil Gibson, Spencer Banks, Marlowe Bates, Tony McEwan, Sergeant Coventry, and Rosalind Ayres, Grace Dunbar. The music was written by Joss Sanglier and played by Joss Sanglier and Elizabeth Fellows. Thor Bridge was dramatised by Grant Eustace and directed by Michael Bartlett for Daedalus Productions.